attention. This is not a self-help podcast. Relax, my friends. I know the podcast has had a little bit of a makeover in the last couple of weeks, but new podcast does not equal new me, okay? Sorry to disappoint. I'm still the same sucky, angry, bitter, opinionated person I always was. So if you're a new listener of the show, let me introduce myself. I'm Diana Espier. I was born in Switzerland, moved to the UK. I felt more attached to my British roots, ended up interviewing celebrities on the red carpets in LA and decided I was quite bored with the format and decided to make my own rules, create my own show, this podcast. And I've been interviewing reality TV personalities ever since. I have taken some of your Instagram polls into consideration. We are going to switch things up occasionally on the show. But, you know, please... Please do me a favor and don't expect some basic ass, motivational, inspirational podcast. If you've listened to me for the last three years, you're probably very aware of the fact that I do give an epic skincare tip, but I'm in no position to motivate or inspire. Okay. This brings me to my next topic. I am quite excited about my guest today because obviously talking about reality TV, I love sharing with you guys what happens behind the scenes, but we are also talking about something I've been very honest and upfront about on the podcast, which is dating, okay? So I'm going to give you the gist of it if you're a new listener. I meet a guy, I don't fucking like him, he's boring, he ends up becoming a stalker, almost needing a restraining order. Or the other scenario is I meet a guy kind of settle into liking him because of the lack of options out there. He gets cocky, I lose interest, and we're back to square one. The annoying thing about this situation is also the opinions I get along the way when people come up to me and ask me, how are you still single? Like, there's something wrong with me, bitch. Nothing's wrong with me. I have standards. Why is it that when people have standards, they are seen as a fucked up, crazy, miserable victim kind of person? I I still don't understand. Anyway, if you feel my pain, it's not really pain. It's just quite annoying. But if you feel it too and can relate to anything that I've said before, you definitely want to make sure you listen to this episode. I'm having Aparna from Indian Matchmaking, a show I'm sure you've all watched on Netflix because what else is there to do nowadays? This was a this was kind of a different interview for me um, for the reason that Aparna is very, very smart and she really embodies so many things that I've been thinking but not able to express into words because she is just so intelligent and so assertive. So I'm actually quite excited for you guys to listen to this episode if you're interested to find out more about dating in the South Asian community or just, you know, modern day dating in general as a grown ass woman. So good to be here today. Thank you for having me. I don't even know where to begin because I watched you and I'm, I'm going to keep it 100% real and honest with you. At Got first, it. I watched the show and I was like, who the fuck is this girl? What a bitch. She's not nice. She's a nightmare. And then as I was watching, I obviously realized something's not really adding up. She has a lot more depth. She has a lot more emotions than you know they want us to see at the beginning of the series. And then I actually listened to a couple of podcasts and you mentioned a few things about how you were kind of negatively portrayed on the show. So can you explain a little bit more about that before we get into all the questions? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a common pattern and I think viewers are becoming wise to it slowly. Um, it's 
the the reality TV go to. You vilify the strong woman for ratings and reviews, and um, you make all the characters um, a foil to her in some way. And they did it again. I mean, I just don't think it's anything new, but it's something that we obviously have to keep discussing because even after 25 years of reality TV, it seems that people are still taking it as truth and um, moving forward with that narrative that's just created for them. Is there anything on the show that you watch where you were like, fuck, this is not me. Like, I did not say this. I did not mean to say this. Just to give everyone a little bit of context, just, you know, so that when you answer the questions now, people know who they're dealing with. And that's kind of the point in, you know, my podcast interviews. I love to give people what they can't see on the TV screen. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting always in reality shows when they take hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage and then they boil it down to an hour and a half. It becomes very, um, you know, it's completely out of context, it's edited, it's clipped in ways that makes it look like a certain way and not the other. Like for instance, in the first episode, you see me go on a date with a guy that I say I will speak to never, and my mom has choice words for him, I think she calls him a loser or something. And the show edits it as if, we don't like his career choice. And that was the reason we were having these very harsh reactions to this young man, not so young man. I think he was in his forties. Yeah. Um, yeah, not so young man. Um, but, uh, it's interesting because in real life I took him out for dinner off camera because I thought anyone that flew to Houston to come on a date with me at least deserved me to treat them to a meal. They flew all the way here. The cameras didn't need to be on them at all times. They could actually get to know me and I could get to know them. And so I take this man out for dinner and he, um, spirals. I mean, we, he's just demeaning. He's disrespectful in so many ways I'm really hurt by the end of it I'm crying it's like 3 a.m by the time I drop him off I have taping again at 7 a.m the next day and I'm just horrified this is my first day on the show it's my first day of taping and I'm like I want out and my mom's like you need to get out like I told her what happened and then we told the producers and then we told the matchmaker and it's on camera and everything and yet they cut it all because it doesn't fit the narrative that I'm a, a overly judgmental, strange, sad lawyer um, if someone tramples me and treats me poorly and makes me cry. Um, but that's a big part of matchmaking and of the love journey that it's even for a strong woman, even for a confident woman, um, it is still um, a very, very normal that she would get into a situation that she didn't like, that she didn't feel comfortable in, that made her hurt, that made her upset, that made her cry even. Um, and I, I think that the viewers are at a disadvantage for not seeing that because that is a part of the journey for all of us and regardless right. of how we are portrayed or how strong we come across. For me, the first thing that comes to mind when you tell me this story is what the fuck did this guy say to make you cry? How do how does someone make a woman cry on a date? Isn't the date supposed to be the part where you're trying to impress someone? Oh, I cried after. I don't even think he knows I cried. I was just crying, but from the defeat of it all. I mean, like that someone could take me out, um, well, for, could first come to my home and enter my home and meet my family and then go on the state with me on camera and then go on the state with me off camera and then just say these things that were so hurtful. I felt so tired and exhausted. I don't know if you've ever been on a show, but it's just exhausting to be on yeah. camera for that long. Yeah. And, and then to, to, to also then take them out and extend my day and then to be treated like that, I was just tired. I was defeated. I was tired. I was hurt. Um, and I was just in tears. I was like, this can't be the way this is going to go down for me. And, and my mom, when I told her the next day was like, yeah, it shouldn't go down. Walk away from this whole thing. Tell these people to go home. And, and they assured me it would never be like that again and did all the platitudes. And, you know, I stayed and, um, that's a part of television, I guess. What, what was some of the stuff that he said to you that were hurtful? You don't want to say. I'm not going to go into it now. Um, I just don't think that's important. I think it's about the journey and yeah. it's about 
what happened to me and it's about what wasn't shown to the viewers. It's not really yeah. about the details of what hurt me versus if it hurt someone else or if someone right. else is good or bad. It kind of sounds like you didn't really know what you were getting yourself into when filming the show based off of what you said. So how did they present it to you? Like, what did they say this was going to be? Because like you said, I've also been on shows before and understand that there's so many different factors that people don't see behind the cameras that actually make you look like a completely different person. And it's not necessarily always the editing. I know for you, a big part of it is the editing, but it's also just the way that like the setting, the way that things are set up, the way that things are organized. And so what were you expecting when you went into this? What were you told? This was a docu-series um, allegedly about um, Indian matchmaking and it was going to highlight the best parts of my culture. And it was going to show that arranged marriage is, you know, this modern thing that can work in a modern woman's life. And, um, I was down for that. I mean, um, if I was told this was reality TV, which mind you is very different than a docu-series, I would not have signed up for this. Um, now that I've done it, obviously people always ask, would you do it again? Yes. But for many different reasons, mostly because of the amazing conversations that have come out from this show about casteism and colorism and racism and sexism and and how i've been a part of those conversations and i believe if we have these conversations and uh, i'll say it for the show the show did not sanitize these topics at all and if we have these conversations as a society as a broader society i think we can move forward from them and hopefully if we have enough of these conversations and we bring it into the limelight you know enough times then the majority of you will be that it's unacceptable it's unacceptable to throw these things into our matchmaking process for or for them to be an integral part of the south asian culture and so um, yeah, I would do the show all over again just to be a part of that conversation. But at the time, had they told me it was a reality show and not a docu-series, I would have not been a part of it. A docu-series makes a well-rounded, nuanced character. It follows their story with more accuracy and truth. A reality show kind of crafts storylines and story arcs and narratives based on very simplistic archetypes that do well for the storyline and for ratings. And for entertainment. Yeah, they just want to entertain a crowd. Um, So that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about. So the females that they showed as suitors for some of the guys were just a little bit more quiet and didn't have much to say. Do you think there's anything that can be said about it? Or it's just the way that it's edited on TV? And maybe we just didn't get the full story? Well, I can only speak for the American cast. So the girls that you met were Manisha and Rashi. So Rashi's actually... um, it was in her last year of vet school and is now like a kick-ass vet at one of the best small animal hospitals in San Francisco. So we obviously didn't get to see that part of her dynamic personality. And Manisha is like leading up, um, I think part of like an organization that is helping with like voter change on the side and like reelecting Biden. And then is also like got her master's and doing health stuff. So they are very modern women. They are very career oriented. They are very successful. And um, whether or not we see that as viewers and their personalities is, I, I mean, up to editing, obviously. And again, this is about seven main individuals and all the people they date and a matchmaker that spans two countries, the United States and India in eight episodes that are 40 minutes each. There's a lot to cover um, in that in that short period of time. And so, yeah, maybe a lot of people are not even, you know, fleshed out if they're not one of the primaries. I'm ahead of the game. Just taking a short break to do tip of the week because since I am so organized and everything in life is going so well for me for this premiere, I forgot to do it at the beginning of this episode. So here you go. I never told anybody that because I'm such a good friend. My tip of the week is to be subtly using eye creams in your 30s. And I've just started using Tata Harper's Restorative Eye Cream. 
and I absolutely love it. It has changed my skin in a week and I can't get over it. <laughs> I'm going to scream it from the rooftops. My dark circles are disappearing. I'm, I'm looking early thirties again. <laughs> We are all fucking trying. Let me tell you, my tip of the week is also a skincare tip. It's called Hero Cosmetics. They have like a pimple patch. So I have pimples sometimes when I'm on my period, it happens. And then what you do, you stick it on your pimple, you leave it on for like six to 12 hours, and then you take it off and all the gunk from your pimple ends up on the patch. You don't actually need to go and like perform surgery on your pimples. And I Mm. promise you, it fucking works. And they have a... um, a different one that you can we- you wear it in the day and it works as a concealer so you don't see it it's like undetectable and especially with face masks no one cares anymore because you can't fucking see anyway so you just wear the pimple patches and six hours later it's not red anymore it's flat and you're good to go on your date i mean your covid date i guess if you can i don't know if you guys are able to go on dates we kind of are but no you can't not so much here well, your FaceTime date, you'll have clear skin. Use Hero yeah. Cosmetics. It's really good. I don't know if you've watched any of the reality TV dating shows like Too Hot to Handle and like Love is Blind, but I feel like sex is a topic that is very highly covered in these shows and it is not an Indian matchmaking. So I kind of want to understand like if behind the scenes that came into play at all, if it's something that people get to work out before, you know, they decide to have the engagement or if it's something or if it's still kind of frowned upon in the culture sex before marriage so they just decided not to bring it up at all in the series well we only go on first dates in the series most of us are you're not even seeing our second or third date so i wonder if even in a normal dating situation if you just go on one date with someone and tape it if that's something that comes up also yeah this is a more wholesome show about getting your family involved i mean you see even on some dates the mom went along i mean that's not normal but that was a part of the show um often in india i've heard that they do have chaperones on their dates obviously here in the u.s we do not and So I don't know. I I don't think that it was just a part of the show for many reasons. One, because it's not culturally that brought up in first and second dates. Um, Now, I know that one Akshay guy in India uh, got engaged. I don't know the backstory and what those conversations were that he had with that woman. But anyway, he woke up the next day and broke the whole thing off anyway. I mean, I don't know if the viewers see that, but like in real life, he was very public in the press. He was like, I woke up the next morning and called the whole thing off. so yeah, maybe that's why. I, I just don't think that was the bench of the show at all or that it was pertinent to what was going on. I want to know a bit more of your thoughts on like the actual matchmaker and if you thought that she really was super necessary and helpful in the process because I felt like there was a bit of a disconnect with the matchmaker and her criteria. Was she really all that necessary and why did people think that she was the best person to be the matchmaker for this show? She was a part of the show um, because there was a documentary that preceded the show called A Suitable Girl that was made by the same creator, Smithy Mundra, and it won like a Tribeca Film Festival award. And it was like this very uh, revered documentary for many reasons, um, mostly Smriti and her co-director, producer, creative, whatever they're called, I'm not in the industry, um, produced it over four years. And one of the families that they followed was this woman. Um, and so I think that she was just the character that started the whole show and then the rest of us were you know fell into line behind that um was she a good fit for all of us i don't know i don't think so i mean um she had a zero out of seven success rate nobody is um with anyone because of her um in fact one person is with rupam the divorcee just got married last weekend to the guy she met on bumble during the taping of the show so if you watch the show she's um 
leaves the matchmaking process and says like, look, I met someone on Bumble. I'm good. And she ends up marrying him uh, last weekend, in fact. And so, Amazing. um, I don't know. I think for me, the reason I signed up was because it was another avenue to meet, uh, people that I would never otherwise meet the way that I would also be on a dating app or sit at the singles table at a wedding or keep my eyes out at the grocery store for the cute guy that, you know, um, might be, you know, in the produce aisle with me. I think I'm always looking and, um, this was another opportunity, another avenue, but it wasn't going to be more successful, um, in hindsight than swiping on an app. When I watch you, it's very difficult for me to grasp why you'd actually want someone to try and kind of bring people to you because I feel like deep down you kind of really know what you want so I she brought me quality men were they the men for me no do I go on first dates and often find that the man is not for me yes because you're looking for the one you're not looking for all of them people are like why don't you just settle down with one of those boys if you liked them so much and I'm like I like them as a friend they fulfilled some part of um, a friendship role for me. And they gave me something that a friend can give me. That doesn't mean that every person in the world can give you what your partner will give you. Um, yeah. And that is why it is a very specific search. And that is why we've used the terminology, the one. Um, and so for me, I wasn't so hung up on the fact that um, she was traditional in any ways. It didn't mean that the men that she brought me were going to be like that. They weren't all reflections of her. They were all human human beings and have their own accomplishments and qualities that I liked or in the case of the first date did not like my I'm still really good friends with Shaker I speak to him almost every day I speak to Philip and Jay every day they're wonderful men I mean they are from uh, great universities here in the U.S. they are smart they are um, humble they are grounded I can't say enough good things about them if people are like set me up with your friends that you went on dates with I'm like yes um I mean I'm probably way more sassier than you are. I would have been like, I can find a guy who's like tall and handsome and has a good job. If those were the criteria that like the matchmaker was going to focus on, I would be able to do that myself. I would have been like, where the fuck is your value? Like she, I was quite frustrated actually watching her doing the matchmaking because I honestly thought it would be a bit more of like an in-depth process. Maybe they just didn't show that on camera either. So, so it was just a way for you to meet people you would have never otherwise met. But it wasn't because you know, the expertise, this woman has a 95% success rate and she's going to find you the one. No, no. And I think a lot of my friends, especially in the Jewish and South Asian communities, um, see it the same way. Like if there's that special auntie in your community or whatever you call her that just networks and is always trying to set you up with a guy, that's who I thought this was. Like she was the woman that was going to come in and kind of like use her network that she had built with so much pride to, um, muddle around and try to give me some prospects. Um, had I hoped that, yes, it, she would have a better read on the situation? Sure. But did she not start giving me men that fit me better towards the end? Sure, she did. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm still on the fence if, if there's a reason why she should be more successful than any other avenue. So you guys are all, you know, you live in America, you live in Texas, I think. Um, is the matchmaking process and the arranged marriage process kind of different in India? You know, I... I have not lived in India, but I understand a lot about the culture and I go every year. And I think that the important thing that everybody should take away from the show is that this is a story about seven specific people in India. And because we don't have South Asian media representation, everybody wants this show to be 
in the full representation of Indian culture. We're billion, we're a billion in India alone, and then probably another billion scattered all over the world. And you saw one matchmaker with seven people. And a lot of people are like, "Oh, you guys only had the same. We all had the same religion, and you all um, weren't. L no, there was no LGBTQ representation." And I'm like, "Yeah, but remember when the Cosby Show was the only show about Black America? And then over time, we started getting more and more Black media, and we started seeing different parts of the culture and the people and the socioeconomics and all of that stuff." And and we weren't just relying on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like, that's where we're at with South Asian media representation. We have Mindy Kaling's Never Have I Ever, which came out this year. We have a show on Bravo that's only in the U.S. called Family Karma. And we have this show. And now everybody wants this to be the representation of arranged marriage in all of India for all Indians across the world. And I'm like, that's a lot to ask for eight episodes. Um, yeah. It's just not possible. It's, it's too ambitious and it's not the purpose of the show. And so... Can I speak for Indian matchmaking in India? Yes and no. In a way, matchmaking and arranged marriage is a definition that is like a fingerprint. My definition is very unique to me. And Akshay in India is, is very unique to him. And Ankitha's in India is very unique to her. And it's comprised of like all these factors, including like our families and how they view it. So look at Ankitha's family in Delhi versus Akshay's, like with the mom who allegedly would get high BP. And their families influenced them, their societies influenced them, their friend groups, um, their their country's cultures and beliefs. So my country's culture and beliefs are different than theirs. So like that informs me. And then the biggest part of all of it is how much do you believe that your own voice should be heard in the range marriage making process? So we see the portrayal of Akshay is that he doesn't want that much of a say in it versus me, who's kind of a foil to that where I'm like, I want all the say. So my definition and my fingerprint of arranged marriage is totally different than anyone else's in the world. Even the Nadia's and Vyasa's uh, are quite similar to me in backgrounds as far as like education and growing up in the U.S. and stuff. And so I think that's very unique too. And that if people took that away from the show, then that was a big deal because that's an, a big understanding of arranged marriage that there is no one set definition. I'm sure that there are many places where the woman or man is forced into a marriage that they don't want to be in, but arranged marriage does not equal forced marriage. I mean, even my mom's friends who were getting married back in like with the seventies and eighties where they tell stories about how they went, uh, you know, and, and visited 12 men and said yes to the 12th guy, you know, like they even had a choice back then the way that I have a choice today. So um, again, I think it's that, that very unique definition and it plays a lot to do with your community and your socioeconomics and your education and all of those things. Um, but it doesn't have to be forced marriage. And I know people even in the Orthodox Jewish community, like have told me that they, they've gone on dates with five, six guys and, um, not dates, I mean, chaperoned meetings and said no to certain them, you know, like that one's not going to work for me, mom and dad. And then their parents are like, okay, another one. Now they don't get infinite choices. Um, you know, by five or six, their family's like, come on, pick someone. But I think that there is even choice in those communities often um, where they get to have a say, like that person's just not going to fit me. That, that This is the thing. I feel like, you know, the super religious Jews, I don't even feel like I'm the same religion as them. I feel like it's a completely different religion. I feel like I can relate more to someone like you with different religions, but we're just more reformed than I can to like a super, super religious Jew that literally for me, like completely different people. Um I kind of want <laughs> I want to ask you a question that may come across offensive, but it's actually not because whatever I'm about to ask you, I fucking feel it too. Okay. You don't understand being able to watch some of your first dates on a TV show. And then obviously they were all massively edited. We know that every reality TV uh, audience watcher knows that, but why do you think that you're still single? And I don't mean it in a bad way because even with me, like I'm, 
31 years old, which is like really old for a Jewish girl, I guess, because all my friends have been married. My sister married was got married when she was like 23. And people always look at me and they're like, something must be wrong with this bitch. Like she's still single. I, I can tell you now, I feel like I'm single because I've lived through so much and I've had so many different stages of my life that I felt like I was not an affirmed grown adult until I was about 25, which is already past, you know, the age where people in my community usually get married. And if I would have gotten married at 25, I would have probably gotten a divorce by now because I'm literally a completely different person than I was, you know, six years ago. So, you know, what did you kind of have a realization, um, a new realization of some of the reasons why you think you haven't found someone other than you just haven't found the one? Yeah, I mean, definitely like you, I was in school personally until I was 26 years old. So I hadn't even had my first real adult job until I was 26 and a half as a lawyer. And then you're struggling through your first years of law and you're like making all the wrong decisions. You're finally, like it's weird when you make, um, when you become a lawyer and you're young, you, it's your first job, but you're already making a lot of money. So it's like, you never go through that phase where you're like, oh, life's hard. You know, like you're just like, boom, I have a job, I have money. And so that was fun. You know, like I was traveling the world. I was doing whatever I wanted. I was like, flying to London for the weekend. I was going to Barcelona with my friends on the weekend from Houston, which mind you was like a 10 or 11 hour flight. And I'd be like, I'm going to Barcelona. Like that was me in my twenties. And, and then I was also dating men who are a lot like me. I was looking for clones of me. I wanted someone fun and exciting. who wanted to travel the world. And then in my thirties, probably even by 31 or 32, it hit me that like, Oh wait, like I don't want anyone like me. Like I'm good being me and I need someone who's more like stable and, um, down to earth and relaxed. I would love someone who's like very, very intelligent, like way smarter than me. That's always learning and growing and can share that with me and like constantly keep me in my toes with like new information and new fun things to, to learn in the world. And um, that is not the man I looked for a majority of my life, nor is it the man I dated a majority of my life. So here I was in my early thirties thinking, I want someone South Asian. I want someone who is extremely laid back and chill at home. I don't know what they're like in their work life because I know a lot of the men I've dated in, my, in their work life are extremely like go-getters, but sometimes at home they're very chill. They're like, I'm tired from work. Like I'm, where do you want to go for dinner, honey? And I'm like, I like this. I'll tell you where I want to go for dinner. I know where I want to eat. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm looking for that guy. And I've only really been on the search for that guy for two or three years now, which really I should have probably been on that search for him the minute I got out of school at age 26, but I wasn't. And that's my bad. Like that was my growing. That was my journey. And that was me dating a lot of people who weren't going to work for me long-term because they were exactly like me in many ways. And yeah, and now I'm open, I'm open to it and I'm looking for it. And that's what I told Seema I wanted. And she was like, no. And so you see me, like the viewer doesn't see me tell her that those are my only criteria that I tell her the same way I told you, because I figured this out about two, three years ago. So I knew I could share it with her quite easily. And she was like, oh, do you speak Hindi? And I was like, wait, no, wait, um, I prefer English. My Hindi is like a three-year-old's uh, Hindi. Like, it's really bad. Like, my language-speaking skills outside of English are pretty terrible. And now already I'm kind of freaked out because how do you say the word introvert in a language you don't speak? Like, how do you explain it to her? And so I'm saying all these things, like, not the funniest guy in the room. And she's like, no. And I'm like, the quiet guy, the wallflower. And I'm like, wallflower is an American word. How do you say wallflower? I'm like, you know, the guy that doesn't love comedy. Like I'm trying to explain this to her in like 10 different ways. And she's just looking at me blank face saying no. And I'm thinking it's because she doesn't understand. But the issue is, is that she already had her own man in her mind. And she was like, you will be with someone who is jolly. And I, you see me dumbfounded. I'm like, 
but Santa Claus is jolly. He's like an old man in a red suit. I know nobody else who's jolly in the world. I don't want a jolly man. And I'm thinking of jolly means like the funny man. I certainly don't want that man. I've already figured that out through my twenties. I've done all the hard work. I'm telling you what I want. Listen to me now. But you see me say all these really, people are like, that was a really strange phrase you said. And I'm like, yeah, it's me trying and thinking this woman has a language barrier in me and me trying to explain in multiple ways the same concept, which is a laid back, chill guy who's more introverted and who's very, very smart. And right. It's so funny because I literally have the same thing as you, like throughout my 20s, I would always like, because I'm like the, the the loud person, opinionated, like funny person. And all my friend, friends would be like, you need to meet this guy. He's like you. He's really funny. He's really cool. Like he's the loud guy. And he, that guy just ends up being annoying because there's no room for me to like express myself. And I don't want to be self-centered, but like, I guess I am. I, there's no room for two me's. Like there is not. And so I'm, I'm kind of like you, like I need the guy who will just welcome you know, those things about me because someone who's loud is usually someone that wants to be heard. Do you know what I mean? The guy that's more laid back and that's more relaxed is the guy that's, you know, a better listener or someone who handles, you know, high stress situations better maybe or something. And that completes you. And that's, I literally went through the exact same thing as you. If a matchmaker came up to me and was like, you need someone who's happy, happy, I would be like, fuck you. I'm not into it. And I tried too hard to, and learned too many lessons and took so much time to figure this out that I don't need to go through the process of the matchmaker again so that I can prove it to her. I already proved it to myself. I got this. Like, um, I'm still looking for that guy. And now I'm very purposeful about that looking. I mean, I'm not really actually dating right now in this COVID time, but when I start dating again, I will be more purposeful because I really learned that that that's what I really want. Like I'm not, I'm not kidding around at this point and um, I'm not needing to go through like vast amounts of exploration um, to find out what I want. I've kind of done that. And, you know, l- looking at all these dates, like yours and the other people's dates from the show, I know that, again, they are edited. We don't we don't get the full story. But do you kind of see some things where you're like, Ugh, I, I could have done this different or maybe next time? I'm, I'm like you. I think you're going to say the same thing as me. I shouldn't have to change. I'm me. I should be good enough. But sometimes you kind of look at yourself and you're like, you know what? Maybe now that I've seen this, I probably shouldn't do this on a first date. I'm not saying there was. I'm just wondering if you thought that. My first dates actually all went really well. So they were about eight to 10 hours long. And um, I, that's why I'm still really good friends and speak every day to three of them. Um, and they didn't show you that. But Shaker and I went on two dates on camera, one date off camera. Jay and I you know, went on two dates. Like Dilip and I went on a date. They're all great guys. I'm going to New York next week. I'm seeing them. I saw Shaker in Chicago last week. Like these dates were actually what I would consider in my book really good dates. Those men and I enjoyed each other's company. We stayed in touch. We said, yeah, we weren't for each other. Like we don't want to date each other. But man, we had a lot in common. We enjoyed our conversations. We're all well-traveled. Um, I loved the connections I made with those men. Now, whether or not the viewer sees that is a whole different story. But um, if you took a 10-hour date and you took Shaker's face at one moment where he looked confused and then took me saying something completely out of context, like about the sex tourism, like I was telling him and he was agreeing with me that when we went there to Cuba, we were just struck by the poverty and the senselessness of Americans not being able to visit there and help this country that was so close to us to thrive all these years. And we were, we were literally these two lawyers sitting there talking about conscientious tourism. And they took that and they spun it to him looking like, 
just flabbergasted that I would bring up sex tourism in Cuba when he was actually agreeing with me the whole time and we were having a really in-depth conversation about what it looks like to be a responsible traveler and, and, and what that means to us and how that makes more of a difference to us when we travel now than any other aspect of our travel. That's a really deep, interesting conversation to have with someone on a first date. And that's the way I will always want to have conversations with people on first dates. I don't need to twirl my hair anymore and like laugh at jokes that aren't funny and so that the guy can ask me out on a second date. I need to figure out if I want to go on a second date myself. And so um, I did choose to go on a second date with Shaker. They completely cut that and made it seem like we only went on one date and he was disgusted and left, but not true. But it's just bizarre to me that uh, that they could make it look like I was like this terrible dater. <laughs> like, right. Like, I'm, so it was not an accurate depiction enough for you to, you know, to think, oh, I could get feedback, like personal feedback from this, or I could like watch myself and yeah. In fact, those three men could give me feedback and they said our dates were great and we're still all friends. So like if their feedback to me is you're a wonderful human being, let's stay in touch. Let's actually stay in touch. Not like that way where we're like, well, let's stay in touch. Never want to see you again. It's like literally like we check in on each other. We were there for each other when the show launched. They were defending me all over Twitter and Instagram. And I told them, don't do that. Like it's really not necessary. But these men stood up for me. They were my cheerleaders. They were my support system they didn't need to be that but why did they choose to do that because I was so decent on that date and they are decent people and I treated them as such and they treated me as such and I think these friendships will go on for years I don't see them just like dissipating because the show's over and and so for me I'm proud of the dates I went on on that show, whether or not the viewer sees it, um, because I walked away with amazing friends. Since we know that this whole shit is edited, okay, this seems like it was even more edited than a lot of the reality shows I watched, if I'm honest with you, based off of what you told me. There's two things that I want to know that I noticed just out of curiosity. So, you know, when you went on that date and you were throwing... Um, what do they call? I, I'm actually French speaking. Sorry, axe. Yeah, sorry. I'm actually French is my first language. People don't realize, so sometimes I like get mixed up. You know how you were like throwing, 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 and at your last throw, you like magically got it right at the center. Were they like you got to reshoot until we get it for you at the end, or was it like a real natural thing where like you were shooting and you you got it on your last try? I think we were winding up anyway, and I did just get it right at the end and I was like well now I'm done I literally looked at the cameras and I was like I'm over this like I hated the whole product but the thought of being on a first date and there's only two people and you're just taking turns throwing an axe at a wall like I saw people next to me in these huge groups with their friends and they were having so much fun because there were like eight or ten of them and like it's not just like handing an axe back and forth to each other it was like a group activity people were chilling drinking beers like it was a BYOB place like I saw the allure of the the date for a group of friends, like what a cool birthday party or something. Um, I didn't really see the allure of being on a first date with someone and stepping away mid conversation being like, let me throw this ax at the wall. And then being like, sure. And then coming back and saying a sentence to them and then being like, it's my turn to throw the ax at the wall. I mean, what a date. I don't know who thought of that one, but um, yeah, I, I did actually hit it at the end. So we can rest assured that that was not edited. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I always think that these kinds of dates, like, I mean, a lot of people love them, but like bowling, someone took me bowling once and I was like, please don't do that. I look like shit in these shoes. I'm not good. You know, I don't want you staring at my ass while I'm throwing the ball. Like, it's just not a right. good day. It's just not a terrible day. Them that much then because you're, when you're up, they're not up and vice versa. So you're basically just switching spots to places away from each other the whole day. And you're like, what is the point of this? Yeah, it's like going to the movies. It's like this huge disconnect. And I really hate these dates. If you're listening to the podcast, you want to take me on a date, do not take me axe throwing or bowling. And I hate ah, the bowling trip. Take me to go yoga. I love that date. I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. 
I've never done. Oh, wait. Okay. I've never done yoga date. But now that we're onto the topic, what are some of your ideal dates that are kind of not the typical date that you would be taken on? I love to go yoga because we were talking the whole time. We were next to each other the whole time. We were never taken away from each other to do the activity. We were doing it together. Um, but I'm actually just a traditionalist, especially on a first date. I want to get to know the person. Like I want to give them the time, even if it's not fun or cool or sexy, like let's just have a glass of wine. Let's chat. Like tell me about what, you know, um, what interests you and who you are. And like that date I had with Shaker that I was telling you when we were talking about like conscientious tourism, like talk to me about things like that. Talk to me about the things that you learned and the interests that you have and all of those things, because that's, what's going to really get me to understand who you are. And I don't want to go on 10 dates with you to bowl. I want to go on one date with you and figure out if I want to actually see you again. Um, so I think my priorities are different. I don't need to be entertained on a date. I can be entertained by myself or with my friends. And that is not the purpose of dating for me. I love that thing you said about, you know, essentially efficiency of a date because you want one date to be so good. And so, you know, not you can't call a date efficient, but so helpful in your decision-making process that it just gives you an indication of what you want to happen in the future. So how do you feel about this? Because I'm really frustrated about modern day dating, I have to say. Um, Not that I'm not modern, but you know, these people that go on like 15 dates and I personally don't get it. I know by date like three or four, if I want to like pursue like something with someone, how, how do you feel about it? Like, uh, is it something that happens to you? Do you, I kind of want to know how you deal with those things. Yeah, I've never been in a situation where someone's dragging me along because I wouldn't stand for it. I know by date three or four, two, if they're not on the same page, they can go find someone else. And by then I've already realized, like, it's not like I'm in the dark about who they are if we've had three really good dates. Like, I know who they are. I know what I like about them. And if they're not ready to commit or, or, you know, stop dating other people, then that's fine. Like, then they can move on and continue that lifestyle because they're not on the same page as me. And a lot of this is timing. Like, you can meet a really nice guy, but if he's just not interested in getting married for the next seven years, he's going to be going at a different pace than you. He's going to you know, maybe he has no interest ever in getting married um, or in settling down or just even committing to someone. And then they could be as nice as they want. They could be the greatest guy in the world, but they're never going to be the guy for you if you want something different than that. And so I think a lot of the first date or two for me is just saying like, hey, are you on the right page? One of the guys on the show told me off camera, um, he wasn't sure he would ever want kids. And then he was almost mad at me when I said, I definitely want kids. He's like, how could you know that? I was like, I'm 30. I'm in my mid thirties. Like, what do you mean? How can I know? I know I want children. And he was like, I just don't see how you could know. I don't know. And I was like, well, you don't have a vagina or a uterus. Well, even, but even if a 37 year old man doesn't know if he wants to have kids or not, I'm not going to date him. Because no, hundred percent. But it's like, I, I, I hate the fact that he was like questioning your intentions when it's like, you know, you have a maternal instinct, like you're a female with a female body as well. So it's kind of like a weird question to ask you. Existentially, how can we ever know before we have kids that we want to have kids? Like very smart guy. But I was just like, okay, this is not going to work. Because like, what if we dated for seven to nine to 12 months and then I want to get engaged or get married and then three years down the road, we're married. And he's like, I, I told you I wasn't sure. And now I've made up my mind and it's a no. And then I'm in this marriage with this guy who, to be fair, warned me on the first date that he wasn't sure. And I just completely overlooked it. How many things do we overlook in dating? 
probably a ton if we're not being very careful. And for me, I'm just more careful now with my time. Valuable for so many of the fans (laughs) of the show, but also for myself, selfishly. So I appreciate you. Really helpful. Really helpful. One last question. I just want to know, you know, there's this like scene where you're like, oh, I definitely don't want kids at my wedding. Is that a real thing? Or is that another one of their like, we're editing you and... No, it's true. I definitely don't want kids at my wedding. Why is that a thing that's controversial at all? Like, why should children come to a wedding? No, I, I I see what you're saying, but to me, like for example, I have my nephews and nieces, and I'm thinking if I would get married, sort of like your blood. Like my sister does not have kids, but if my sister had kids, obviously I'd be like, you can bring them. But also to the reception, why should you? Or or the ceremony when they can hang out in the room or at the pool or like wherever something more fun for them. It's not like they want to be there. Like they're three or they're seven or they're nine. Like they don't need to be at your wedding. Like it's not going to change their life in any way. Like I just have been to weddings where children are screaming through the ceremony and like crying. And like, I'm like, wait, you couldn't get a babysitter for like one day to share this special moment with this couple that's trying to have a moment in their life. Like they're trying to have a moment. They're trying to get married. And then like at the reception, like leave your kids at home, have some champagne, enjoy the night out. You deserve it. Like, why do we have to have our eight year old at a black tie reception? Well, that's why I think maybe the, the the misunderstanding is. So for me, when I think kids at my wedding, I just think my sister's kids because I would want them to walk yeah. down the aisle with me. I think people maybe didn't realize that you meant I don't want my mom's cousin to bring his five-year-old to come and scream at my wedding when they should be in bed with the nanny. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of agree with you on that. And Jay agreed with me too. He asked the question because he doesn't want kids at his own wedding. And he thought that was super controversial. And I said, but I've been to many weddings where they say, leave your children at home, especially the reception. Because that also gives the parents a chance to enjoy the reception and not be chasing their child around, but to celebrate and to dance and to have a drink and to eat their food without feeding their child. Like it's also an, an opportunity for them to really be a part of your wedding celebration. I just, I don't understand the controversy in that, but that's just me. Maybe I'm too practical. Um, I think maybe people pro- like to project a lot. So when I watched this, I projected because I was like, I fucking love my nephew and niece. Of course, they're going to be at my wedding. But, you know, knowing that you just would rather parents to be able to enjoy the evening and be there for you and be there with you. That's a completely normal. And I think that you do you. I, I completely understand it. But Again, it's a preference of mine and doesn't need to be, um, you know, anyone else's preference. Everyone was so mad in the beginning about my preference preferences that I don't like the beach why does it matter to you if I like the beach or not like they're like that girl doesn't even like the beach and I'm like yeah you heard me I'm not backing down on this I, I do go to the beach and I enjoy it and uh for three four hours I'm like this is great I feel so chill I'm reading my book under the umbrella I'm having a mojito and then I'm like okay I'm done and that's a preference and if I want to go to an art gallery and leave my significant other or my friends on the beach and I'm doing my own thing, I just don't see why that's a problem for anyone else. And that's another thing with kids at my wedding. And that's another thing with anything I said I liked or disliked. And remember, yeah. they edited so that you have my list of dislikes, but I am very decisive. I also have a very strong list of things I like. And if they had just turned this whole thing around and just started spewing all the things I like instead of all the things I dislike, you guys would have thought I was a happy, happy, like flower child because I liked so many things. Well, 
that wasn't the editing that happened. The dislikes came out in the editing, but I also have many likes and I'm happy to spew those anytime you want. <laughs> it was kind of low hanging fruit for them. I feel like to have the very assertive woman say what she likes and doesn't like, and then just pick the dislikes. And I think that's also a thing. I was having this conversation with my friend. As soon as like a woman is very assertive, she's seen as like intimidating and like maybe a bit bitchy and a bit sassy. And, you know, I think that the people that are assertive are the people that are going to give it to you real and that are not going to do anything behind your back or pretend they're loving the date and then go behind your back and go tell all their friends, oh, he had something between his teeth. Like you'd be like, you've got something between your teeth. You should get rid of it. There's like a misconception. I would go get him a toothpick from the host. Um, and I would say, Hey, he had something he got you a toothpick. Like, it's not just about being like ambivalent to the whole process. It's about like being a thoughtful, compassionate person too. Like, Hey, like this date isn't going like when I, more of my friends were single. Now, not many of them are. If a date went poorly and the guy still wanted to go out with me after that, and I thought he was a better fit for one of my friends, I would set him up with my friend. I would be, I had a text all ready, ready to go. Hey, in the spirit of online dating, I thought you're a wonderful person. I loved that you're close to your family, that you loved your job, the blah, 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 all the things I loved about him. However, I think that you would be a better fit for my friend. I think that you and I are better suited as friends. Uh, would you be interested in meeting my friend? I can connect y'all. And most times when I did this, and I did this about five or six times, I think out of the six times I did it, five men said yes. And they went on dates with my friends. And whether or not, now none of those actually worked out, but my friends thanked me, this person thanked me. Like I was a modern day matchmaker. Just because a person isn't for me, again, doesn't mean he's a bad person. It just means he wasn't my one. And I would be happy if he's a decent, kind person to set him up with other people. Well, despite all the things that were not accurate that we've seen of you on the show, I can confirm that we are very similar. And I'm so glad that you came on the show. Can you please let everyone know where they can find you, share your socials, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Sure. So my um, Instagram handle is Aparna Shawak Ramani. It is very long, but it is very me. It is the only one out there. And I have a luxury travel company called My Golden Balloon. And so that's at My Golden Balloon on Instagram and www.mygoldenballoon.com. So when we're traveling again, you guys can come travel with me. <laughs> Definitely. We'll send everyone your way. I'm sure they'll be very desperate for your services once we're done with this shit. Yes, we will all need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.